Sound means live tonight from Area 51's famous Amos Cookie Emporium and Strip Club. It's Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I am the Dome, and since the Four Color Vault of Comics is closed for radioactive decontamination, and the Alston Brighton Hellmouth has been shut down by the Time Cops, everyone except Java has joined us here tonight in Area 51 for a very, very special, weird, and kind of odd evening. <laughs> Special weird and kind of odd. Java, how are things out here in Indiana? Remind you of anyone? Well, the corn is growing fantastically. <laughs> uh, Got okay. any crop circles? <laughs> Uh, of the corn? No, not not that I can see out my window. Excellent. But but I, I'll tell you the the herd has been acting a little strange lately. Uh, well, that, that's because the twisters are coming. No problem. Just, you know, if you need to run for the cellar, let us know. <laughs> Joining us for tonight's cast are and, uh, Gregory Norris and Laura Van Fleet, writers and raconteurs in their own right, <laughs> with stories to tell of Star Trek, Michael J. Straczynski, and, ooh, other tales of Hollyweird. <laughs> <laughs> and special guest joining us, from Brown Coach Redemption, good friend and Puffs Plus ad man, Andrew Marnett. <laughs> Thank you very much. Are you sniffling? <laughs> Love, actually, I took care of it in the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> and, Andrew, if you wave, nobody can see. <laughs> I was actually saying hi to all you guys. Again, just to be on the safe side. Are you going to introduce this whole thing? Who are you? <laughs> oh, I suppose we could. You know, sitting around the table tonight, we have, in order of appearance, the dead redhead. Good evening. Kriana. Bazinga. Drew. Hi. And, and, oh God, he's going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Illustrator X. Yeah, at least it's sci-fi related and not meatloaf. Because he would do anything for that, but he won't do that. It's been an interesting week in the genre, ladies and germs. We spent the day, uh, many of us here at uh, Area 51, at Double Midnight's 8th anniversary bash earlier today in Manchester, New Hampshire. A good time was had by few. <laughs> we got a ruling from Shadanda. We did. We did. Several. And, uh, We nicknamed the new guy. Oh, yes. Hey, new guy at Double Midnight. Shout out to new guy, Haya Raquel. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a very, very, uh, very neat time. We got to see uh, Sarah Richard. Yeah. And Wickersham Delacroix. Wickersham was there. Wickersham Delacroix was there, and he was nonplussed about our, our interview last week. He, was, <laughs> he could have Googled it, but he just didn't want to. 
I gotta say, we also got to watch, um, you know, myself and all these other artists, we all got to watch Sarah Richard, you know, have fans and make money and stuff. <laughs> As she should. I don't, I don't begrudge her anything. It's just like, wow, okay, who's gonna be working for Marvel or DC next? <laughs> yeah, the Sarah Richard fan club was in full, full bloom, and uh, and rightfully so. I gotta tell you, she she had a bunch of new stuff and uh, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. A personal favorite uh, that I guess she did in homage to me, which was the Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> which is quite like the picture from Titanic. <laughs> homage. <laughs> and we saw some of our very specialist fans. <laughs> yes. yes, we did. Yes, we did. Moving <laughs> on. So, so if you're wondering what car it was. Oh, my. It was the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's in the news this week? In the news this week, Peter Jackson may actually be directing The Hobbit after all. Maybe. Yeah, I doubt it. Whatever. <clears throat> Back and Whatever. forth. So he, he was, then he wasn't. Then he wasn't. Now he is. Didn't he write the musical? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that would be Rankin Bass. Same <laughs> Was that the one with that song about the hairy feet? Yes. <laughs> So, no, seriously, what's going, why is he now back on? Well, because whoever was doing it is actually backed out at this point. Again. So, let's not take any of these rumors. Well, well was it, wasn't Sam Raimi going to do it? Sam Raimi was going to do it, and, but he got tired of waiting for uh, financing. No, Guillermo del Toro was going to do it. Right, oh, Guillermo. Sam Raimi? He was, no. He yes, Sam Raimi was reported yeah. as, as being interested in it as well. Um, well... Del Toro uh, backed out because he had other projects that he wanted to do. Which he um, does. But he, he only has twenty of them at a time. <laughs> I think. I think that. I think that he's still producing, though, isn't he? Could I, I'm pretty sure that he's still producing. Perhaps. Mm, yeah, it could be. Hasn't Neil Blomkamp been approached? He was the guy that did uh, District Nine. He's a good friend. Yes, of, uh, he Peter also Jackson was approached. So yeah. you know, there, there's like. Three trial balloons being floated out there right now. It's going to be real interesting to see who ends up with what. Is there a release date scheduled yet? There is not. There's not even a, a, a real casting date scheduled. They, they were supposed to start shooting this summer, but, you know, <laughs> They're not. that's not going to happen. So well, it might all, happen. all of the work that they've done is just is probably going to go completely out the window because whoever direct, picks it up to direct it is going to probably have a whole different vision for the project. Mm. I mean... Del Toro has a very, you know, a very interesting and individual style. So, you know, I'm not sure if his work is going to apply to the next director. Or, or if Ron Perlman would make a good Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then everybody else would have to be on stilts. It's not going to work. Well, if Raimi did it, we'd have Bruce Campbell as Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that we could buy. That I would buy. I got no problem with that. Meanwhile, Joel Silver, who's been trying to produce Wonder Woman for years, has finally backed off oh, the project. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is that Lauren Donner, producer of the X-Men, has been approaching DC to let her produce it. Approaching? Hmm. Yes. She's, she's actively campaigning produce the film. I say we get a, a Facebook campaign, just like Betty White. 
Make it happen. <laughs> I can see that happening. Facebook, do it. She did hire Whedon to do an original draft of uh, the first X-Men. She uh, did. So she just might bring him back. To and it. I would love to see and Whedon do that. that. I would absolutely love oh to see God, that. Oh, my God, yeah. I would accept that. Okay, we're in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> For Moving on. Issue. Motion is stable? Moving For on. For once, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where are we going next? Who know. wants to fly next? Something about what's about iRobot here? Oh, Fox <laughs> is going to screw up another beautiful piece of fiction. Because they can. Well, you well, know. Fox, so Fox, Fox will be following the footsteps of NBC in this particular case. Ouch. Uh... When, when Fox took iRobot and turned it into a piece of trash... Oh, wait, no. You're, I should sorry, really say sorry. what I feel at this you're, point. You're, you're being awfully kind. I know. <laughs> to Fox? Yeah. Well, now they've picked up uh, the rights to produce Martian Chronicles. Oh. And if anybody could do a worse job of it than NBC did with their miniseries oh, 15 years ago, yeah. it's Fox. Now, let me get this straight. They want to make it The, the Martian Chronicles, a two-hour movie. A two-hour movie. Oh. And I think if... if of the if entire Bradbury series? ever finds yes. out about it. <laughs> I don't even know if he knows about it. I mean, but he's, he's upset enough. He got upset at Michael Moore for using Fahrenheit 9-11 as a parody off his Fahrenheit 451. 451. If he finds out that Fox is, wants uh, to do this, he's going to go ballistic. As well he should. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. You know, we're, we're at a point where certain things need to be left alone. Other things need to be done. It's time to stop making... A prequel to the sequel of <laughs> the goddamn series and do something original for a change. Here, Find here. a book that hasn't been serialized 45 times already. Find something that people haven't bastardized and has gone through seven different rewrites. Find something that when you put it up on the goddamn screen doesn't have 10 writer's credits attached to it. Because that's your kiss of death. And speaking of sequels... Uh -oh. Dark Crystal yeah. sequel? Yes. Okay, well... Yes. Oh, the Spirit Brothers? The the director, who also directed Moulin Rouge, which was... All right. Bob Slarvin? Okay. Uh, so, Greg Pierce. And Romeo plus Juliet, which is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But I've watched it like four times. Wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I like that movie. I really do. I think it's great. You like Both Romeo plus Juliet? Yes, I do. I actually yeah. use it in my English classroom. I'm with you, Drew. Sadly, we were tortured with it in our English class. Is that the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and the drag queen Mercutio? Well, yes. Lame, lame, lame. I thought you were referring to Romy Zero and Julie H. Yes. cartoon, which was see it all so Cootie would go back to the Hobbit. How can somebody say that they are taking a writing credit on Romeo and Juliet? They take it, no, 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 because though they use the original language in a modern setting, <laughs> it still <laughs> took a lot of writing. What? Yeah. What? Okay. That's the quote. That's the quote. God help us all, but <laughs> sure. somebody actually had to call By writing, I mean, that. like, no. Mercutio's going to have a musical number at the party. 
And John Leguizamo is gonna have spiked boots that are metal. I mean, you know, if that needs to be and make out with his mother. If I mean, <laughs> if if they're gonna have him say that, you know, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. Fine, <laughs> that's new writing. <laughs> But, uh, just just put a bullet in there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Gemma, you're or overrun four. with that one. Well, you know, I mean, okay. <laughs> but, well, me, regardless, regardless of how you feel about the movies that he's worked on as a writer before, I mean, Moulin Rouge, I think, is a great movie. It, you know, you don't you don't have to agree with me. No, you're right. We'll agree with you on that. Yeah, we don't. Have to agree I think. <laughs> I think I think that the real that the news story here is that you know Hen, Jim Henson Studios is is making a new movie, a uh, new dark animatronic um, something, and it's it, with uh, the Dark Crystal. You know, I think we're going to see something along the lines of Pan's Labyrinth with some amazing technology, some great special effects, and and you know, regardless of it, if it's a good movie or not, I mean, the Dark Crystal isn't isn't a fantastic movie, but the sequel. You know, the fact that they're making a sequel is, I think, pretty interesting news. Well, I'll give you that. It'll be nice to see something come out of that studio besides a Kermit that doesn't sound right. I mean, oh. I mean how many times have we had the Muppets, Christmas, the Muppets... Not to mention what the last Muppets, Manhattan. Yes. Yes. which is the Wizard of the Oz, Wizard of Oz. Uh, where Gonzo says nipple. And that's just... <laughs> that's just Gonzo wrong. says nipple and they go to an opium hut. That's just wrong. What? Look, the, bottom, so the, bottom, the bottom line is since Henson Films was co-opted by Disney, they've, they've gone very vanilla, they've gone very safe. Vanilla, this, they've this, gone vanilla ice. This, <laughs> this is, yeah, pretty much. He's doing the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> this is at least a move in the right direction, to move back to the kind of stuff that Jim was doing. And that's a good sign of nothing else. I don't know though, how many unanswered questions were there really in the Dark Crystal? It finally got there as, as yeah. Illustrator okay. X's oh grandmother likes to talk about. <laughs> Can I just say, the Skeksis still give me nightmares? No! You laughed at my pain. Oh my god. And, and I've also yes. got to say that the uh, post on Slash Film has some really interesting graphics from it as well. Yeah. Really nice graphics, actually. And if that's uh, that's the way they're going with it, I'll give it a shot. I'll absolutely give it a shot. I've Maybe already decided I hate it. Okay. <laughs> as long as you're being fair. <laughs> fan <laughs> of if, you look, if you look at the Spearing Brothers, though, they can do they can do a lot with very little. So I'm definitely still a bit you know mixed about it. But I definitely I mean if you've ever seen Undead, where these yep. guys. If you've ever seen it, just their production schedule, they their second day of shooting, they were already behind. And they already ran out of money. They still managed to make it. They did all the special effects themselves in their house, you know, st you know, sticking two computers next to each other. So if they've got a big enough budget, I definitely think that they, you know, they'll make uh, chicken salad out of chicken. Can I say that? Uh, yeah, you can say shit. that. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> or would you like some lemonade with that chicken salad? There we go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you know, if I gotta say, you know, a lot of Henson's work where he was allowed to just unbridle himself from uh, from the everyday stuff, 
We're, we actually gave his brain some. Do you ever see mm -hmm. Time, the short I've film seen that he clips did? Of it. Yeah. It's 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 an incredibly good piece of film, mm -hmm. and it, it's a wonderfully imaginative thing. And, and watching that particular piece, and knowing what he's capable of, it's absolutely amazing. So I think if the studio gets back into that concept, into that idea, moving forward that way, I'll give it a shot. I'll absolutely give it a shot. Well, and you know the oh, I'm back. Uh, no, one okay. of the things. One of the things that's uh, that's true, and I, I mean, we talk about this a lot as far as, you know, people rehashing old material, sequels, you know, uh, making everything into a trilogy or remaking old things or making, you know, this is, this is just the Hollywood that we're living in right now. I mean, they do not want to make bad business decisions. And original content, new ideas is a bad business decision because you have no idea whether or not it's going to be a good, you know, uh, they can sell it or not. So they can sell a sequel. They can sell a trilogy. They can sell something that's been written in the same way as all the other movies that have been written for the last 20 years. They, can, they know they can do that. And so it's just the world that we're living in. Yeah, but what they fail to realize in that is Theodore Sturgeon's third law of life. 90% of everything is shit. And once you have your money, never give it back. <laughs> oh, wrong rules. No, that was, that was a rule of acquisition. <laughs> Ferengis were much later. Okay, Green Hornet trailer was released. We held our breath. We hoped for the best. And we were wrong. And we were wrong. Oh. The trailer is, is such a disappointment. It's It's horrible. It, I, I don't. I don't even know what to say about it. I was, you know, I was psyched about the Green Hornet when they announced the cast. I was less psyched about it, but you know, now I just I I can't I can't hold any hope for it at all. The little part of me died. <laughs> I, I kind of uh, threw up a little bit in my mouth watching it. To be honest with you. Well, you never get those seconds back. <laughs> it's not something that. Did having seen, you know, a lot of times when you see that first movie trailer that runs uh, 90 seconds or, or, or two minutes, you know that they jammed the best part of the film right. in that. Well, if they have so far. God help us if that's the best <laughs> part of this film. It's the same problem with Hulk. The Hulk, the Hulk trailer came Both out and it was awful. Yeah. And the movie was awful. So... I'm not thinking good things here. All right, you know what though? How many die-hard Green Hornet fans are there? One. I'm gonna check the cemetery. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, good luck with that. No, okay, okay, no, that's bullshit though. How many die-hard Kick-Ass fans were there before it debuted? Uh, more than Green Hornet. No, fans. not true. Yes. Yeah. No, different yeah. age. No. Different age. Not true. Yes, and the ones who the were comics sold age very are well. That's because it was the Mark Millar, and Mark Millar's fans bought it. Yes. But how many diehard Daredevil fans were there? And then the movie came out, and they all disappeared. <laughs> 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 different topic. Different topic. They, they pulled so, the I mean, Murdoch. They went blind. could go either way. <laughs> so I mean. <laughs> No, see, I, that's a franchise that could have worked. That should have worked. Eh. Uh, uh, meh. <coughs> what? No, just a 
quantify that. Sell me the Green Hornet. I won't sell you the Green Hornet. I'll sell you Kato. The Karate you're gonna Kid. Sell me, wow, you're going to sell me Robin? The wow. Karate, <laughs> the Karate Kid. The Green Hornet was more about, by the time it actually matured, Kato, than it was, in fact, the Green Hornet. And that became the center. Well, the only other show they had at that time was what? Was it Kung Fu? Right. And there wasn't a whole lot of super fast action in that. It made up for it when Lee was on Green No, Green, but they right? had that really cool effect where it looked like everything was in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what happened to that effect? You don't see it nowadays. It just, you know, it, 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 had the possibil- it had possibilities. It really did. And it's you're, a shame. You realize you're judging all this on one trailer. Yeah, it's over. I decided I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Move on to next movie. I we hate this the one book, too. We yes. read the preview and then we closed the book. Never to open Dead it to again. Dead to me. Dead to me. Wow. We, that should be our new segment. Dead, Dead, Dead to, to me. me. <laughs> <laughs> this way. Java, that's that's your segment from now on. What's uh, dead to me this week? <laughs> <laughs> It's not like we're running out of stuff. <laughs> not at all. That's, I mean, that's the sad formula they're settling on right now with the action comedies. You know, you've got night and day, you've got killers coming out. Either it's just an action comedy or it's a romantic action comedy. See, we all know you go for the romantic, the romantic comedy. comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and by with love. I mean, anything with Julia Robertson. Really. Julia Robertson, I'm there. Barbara Streisand. Meryl Streep. God, how awesome would that be? Barbara Streisand with an AK-47. <laughs> I think they somebody, did that. Somebody I give think, me a computer. I'll I think they did that on South Park. Yes! <laughs> and who did they have to call? Robert Stepp. Thank you! <laughs> yeah, our, final, our final bit of uh, trivial news or drama news or trivial drama news. New Futurama. Woo! That's it. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Do it, do it. And, do your fry impression. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was close, but I was going for more. <laughs> you should have done that for the uh, Silver Circle. <laughs> I should have. Next time they go to collect a scream, I will, I will do my fry scream. Guys, I gotta tell you, after six years of it being off the air, it's back. It's better than ever. It's as funny as it ever was. I love Zap Brannigan. The, the writing <laughs> is crisp and clean and hilarious. It could not be better. They could. They, they snapped not only their old network and their and, and their, their, new and their new network, but also the Bible in the same one hour for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it now. <laughs> it's good. I liked it. I liked the Eden one better than the robot love one. You mean we were on Earth the whole time? <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely classic. You know who I'd like to see more of? Kip? Kip is dead. He's no, not Kip dead. Was, Kip was back. I know, but they killed him and I don't understand. Yeah, but they put him back in the stem cells. He's back. Don't <laughs> yeah, worry. Yeah, he's good. He's in the, yeah. I mean, they blew it's him up at the, at the end of season five. They Can blew him up at the beginning of season six. <laughs> yeah, they blew everyone up. What are you talking about? Duncan Duncan Idaho. Idaho. Yeah, he's like, he's, he's going to be the new so Kenny. So much for spoilers tonight, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Illustrator X doesn't care. <laughs> and now he's dying. Anyway. So, 
Speaking of dying, <laughs> joining us tonight. <laughs> you kill you. Why kill me? Whoa. <laughs> Greg Norris and Laura Van Fleet. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Round Thank of you. Applause, because you're actually in the same room with you for once. That's this right. Is, this is the oddest feeling in the world having us in the same room doing this show. It's it really never weird. Happened. So. <laughs> Tell us everything about everything, like it's what it's like to work in Hollywood and make movies and be a and how much fun it is. They all died. The end. Tell us stuff about stuff. So, well, Laura and I um, had the great opportunity to pitch to Star Trek Voyager thanks to Jerry Taylor. The story starts where Laura and I met at a writers' group became best friends instantly, decided to pool our talents, and then we were both fans of the show when it was just starting out, and decided, you know, it might be interesting to interview some of the cast, because we were writing nonfiction for various magazines, and at the time, Roxanne Dawson, who played half Klingon, half human, all-star Baylana Torres, um, was not giving interviews, but we thought she would be interesting, did not know because she was pregnant she wasn't giving interviews, and foolishly got on the phone to a publicist tracked them down, and for some bizarre reason, she gave us the interview that nobody was getting at the time. And the Sci-Fi Channel magazine, which was just in its inception, well before all the whys invaded, <laughs> um, they took the story happily because they wanted it and couldn't get it, and then offered us the Channel News column, in which we had to assemble a list of celebrities to comment on things such as, do you believe in UFOs if they were doing a sighting special? Um, we even got David Duchovny. Don't ask us how. We, we managed to get him and Leonard Nimoy and Bill Shatner and Martin Landau and all these other different people throughout oh. the time we did No this. squeeing. <laughs> I squee for Martin Landau. I like squeeing. And he's my favorite actor. You have my permission. <laughs> and I just got a little tingle. But anyway. We this is sad for that. It's okay. <laughs> we assembled this list of celebrities. And by the time, you know... We had the first, they would give us maybe three days, get your celebrities on the phone and ask them about their memories of Godzilla when the lousy 1998 Godzilla came on. William Shatner said that when he saw the movie, it reminded him of a girl he used to date. Uh, okay. Peter, Peter Jurisix was a lot nicer. He was such a giving man, and you know he yeah. went to school here in New York. Yes. yes, UNH. Such a nice man. But he he said that it it played on the four o'clock movie for weeks, and every time he saw it, he all saw the sad creature and made him cry. I mean, I thought that was just such a great response. But what we ended up doing was we found out that Jerry Taylor was about to leave. She was going to retire, and we wanted to get the story. She gave us this exclusive. At the end of the interview. We boldly said, you know, we like the show. We want to pitch to it. She took the pitches from us. She said, in this wonderful tape that we still have, which is probably illegal because you're not supposed to take them, um, that I want to compliment you on a very good pitch. And if I was still in charge, I would take these. So then what we ended up doing was we asked her, would you recommend us for the internship that they had for starting writers? Um and she did, and wrote this wonderful letter of recommendation, which you can't see, uh, on Star Trek. <laughs> Just scan it a little. Yeah. If you try hard enough, you can see it. Um, but what we ended up doing was she recommended us for that. We continued to pitch throughout the summer. Within two weeks, we sold the two episodes that became the fifth season, Counterpoint, 
in Gravity, which was the Tuvok backstory. The Janeway romance and the Tuvok backstory. Now, you didn't actually write them, though. They wouldn't let first-time writers. We broke in at the very bottom of the scale with that, but what we got was we got the writing credit for having created it. And we ended up seeing those stories broadcast and continued to pitch with them, and then they closed shops in thereafter. Now, there must be a certain level of frustration, because oh, this is much. your baby, and someone else got to deliver it. Mm-hmm. Well, funnily enough, the person that we first pitched to was Michael Taylor. Laura had a wonderful idea, um, based on a dream she had about a Holocaust. And it was a Holocaust story, and, and it was terrifying, and she said, let's turn that into a Voyager idea, in which it wasn't Nazis and Jews, it was the persecuted people of the dying race, and you know, and we pitched that to Michael Taylor, and he rejected it. The next pitch we did, we were lucky enough to get Nick Sagan, Carl Sagan's son, who was a staff writer at the time. He loved it. He said, this is just like Anne Frank in Outer Space, which was the tagline we ourselves had come up with. <laughs> Never said that to him. He, he posited that. And then two weeks later, they contracted for that story. In the meantime, I had had a dream. We were going... Now, is that the one with the telepaths? The tele- mm-hmm. We had them initially okay. hidden in the ground heifer for yes. ads. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And they were going to force Voyager to land, but then they decided to put them in the transporter. Um, we were pitching pretty regularly to them. They were taking our pitches all the time. So we would have many a day and a night where we were really getting no sleep because we were just running through stories like, what would this one happen you know, to do in this situation? And I fell asleep, and she was coming over at 7 o'clock in the morning. We had pitched the day before. I mean, we had gotten together to write our pitches up, and we were getting ready to do the pitch. And I fell asleep and had a dream that Neelix and Tom Paris in the Delta Flyer had been sucked into this sort of tight, gravity-compressed sort of like... It had fallen, you know, the the gravity was so tight it had fallen into this pocket. And they couldn't get out, and then Voyager was going to have to come and save them. And in the meantime, they got out. And they loved that idea. I I ran it by her, we pitched it that night, and they said, you know, we were really looking to do a Tuvok backstory, but we've never been able to get the right idea... So let's put him in Paris instead of Neelix on the Delta floor, and they get sucked down into this, you know, this this tight gravity well, and um, and that one they, they took instantly. So that was out of the 150 ideas we pitched during the first five seasons, they took the two. But they told us at the beginning, freelance writers don't ever expect you're ever going to get in. It just doesn't happen, and we of course took that as a challenge and when we, we proved them When we first started pitching, we were only pitching like once a month. And once our pitches were so well received, we were doing it like twice a week. It was so yeah. we were really wow. working around the yeah. clock to make it happen. Nice. You actually go back to LA to do the pitches? These or? were done mostly over the phone, but we did go out right towards the end. We got to be on the set when right before they were filming the final episode. We did a whole big retrospective on the show and interviewed the whole cast and the produ- the producers, and that appeared in Cinescape magazine mm-hmm. right at the end. And Kate Mulgrew who we had interviewed many, many times for the Sci-Fi Channel magazine, uh, and she was part of the column several times as well. Um, I will never forget, Laura and I had met her in New York at a a function that she did for a pediatric AIDS charity, and the very first time we interviewed her, we donated our money from the interview to that AIDS charity, the Incarnation Children's Center. And so she was always available to us after that, and she thought that that was lovely. And I will never forget the, the publicist at Paramount, we're so, oh, don't talk to anyone. Oh, don't look at them when they're filming. I'm like, 
who are you talking to? And in the middle of production, Kate Mulgrew in full uniform came walking over and hugged us and kissed us. And was like, oh, it's so nice to see you again, my lovelies. And, you know, and then the publicist was like, the publicist was, how well did you say you knew her? I mean, <laughs> Let's talk about that final episode of Voyager, mm-hmm. that, that two-hour episode where the end there's game, actually yeah. the end game. And she actually travels into the into the past mm-hmm. to fix the present so that they can return home. Uh, and she tackled the board. And tackles the board yeah. at the same time, yeah. right. I mean, you know, Mulgrew came, came across throughout the entire arc of that series, the seven years of that series, uh, as one of the strongest women ever in science fiction. And can I just interject really hot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can interject oh, okay. that. Not just a saying. I know, I think Deuce Space Nine had better women. I'm just saying, Kate Mulgrew, if you're out there. She's wow. a stunner. She really is. Absolutely. <laughs> and and I, I can remember, I, I have... All seven seasons right there. <laughs> and uh, I, I can remember, you know, being transfixed at that, uh, the, the depth that those characters had all driven into in that last, that last two-hour endgame se- of, the, of the series. And it's probably the best ending of any series that they've ever done. Which is amazing for you, Deep Space Nine fan, to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I hated the ending of Deep Space Nine. I absolutely hated it. It was, it was a, I'm, it, in many ways, they were the same series because they were a closed community in an alien area <coughs> where, although, you know, Deep Space Nine, they didn't travel. It was, it was a fixed point in a fixed area of time. It was incredibly wonderful. But they were sent in many ways the same series. There was a strong main, uh, there was a, a series of strong supports throughout, and there was always within the support characters in both series enough division among them to make to make it work, to make uh, to make it interesting, to keep it interesting over seven seasons. It was absolutely wonderful. But I, I was. I was always amazed by that that last two hours. I think of all the series, uh, Mulgrew pulled off the finest ending I've ever seen. Well, it's also important to remember she sort of got thrown into the mix in a weird way at the beginning, in she that it had cool started, job. yeah, you know. And and as she told Laura and I, you know, that she was not the first choice, but she was obviously the right choice. And you know, she she came into it with very little time to get into it, and she just ran with it and, and did a fantastic job. Um, I love her. I, I remember growing up as a kid, and my, my late mother, who was so supportive of me as a writer, just being in love with Ryan's Hope. So I knew her <laughs> so well before then. You know, she was the one that everybody on that show was like, that's the one they love. You know, and it, the light went out when she left. You know? And here I was expecting a Remo Williams uh, well, reference. Hey, but no. <laughs> she was strong and beautiful in that, too. <laughs> but she really, and she was always very generous to us. Whenever we needed a quote, she had a quote. I was Whatever never, I, I, I hate to admit it, but I was never really into science fiction. But when I saw that Mulgrew was attached to Star Trek Voyager, I immediately became involved in the storyline and, and the characters. And that's also why Greg and I started working together is because I got so involved in the character of Mulgrew 
Um, I just thought it was an amazing character. And I'm, I'm into science fiction now. <laughs> but you know, doesn't that go back to what Harlan Ellison was saying to us when we were interviewing him? It doesn't matter what the genre is. If it's good writing, it's that's good it. writing. Yeah. And that's what's important. Yeah. Right. So, so sometimes people get stuck in, in genres instead of looking at something for what it really sure. is. Well, Veronica, not even knowing he was a science fiction writer until he saw his books in the science fiction section of a bookstore. Right. Yeah. Oh, so that's what I do. <laughs> Well, there's a tendency to want to pigeonhole, but like you said, a good story, good writing, good Sorry. acting. I mean, and that show had classically trained, fantastic actors. Mm. They did a lot. And you know, you see um, Roxanne Dawson and Robert Duncan McNeil in directing roles yep. now yeah. everywhere. I think, uh, and I could be wrong, he, that he, who was also one of the people who was always generous to us, he loved reading. We did a story on him for a motorcycle magazine because he's a gearhead. <laughs> and he loved that. Nobody ever interviewed him for motorcycles, and we sure. we did that. Um, but that he did he direct the last episode of Fringe this year? That was oh, did he? Oh wow! Oh, and Fringe is wonderful. They both directed oh, so for Lost. You know, he's done desperate. Oh, they oh. think they're both done desperate housewives, but you see their names. Everybody's done well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, David Goodman, who was an Enterprise producer, right? Right. But you see their names, you know, consistently as directing really good quality. How'd you get involved with uh, Enterprise? Well, it was really funny. We we closed out Voyager with some great ideas that never made it onto the table because they were just assigning everything quickly in-house. Um, when Enterprise came out, we did the same thing we did during Voyager. We were interviewing the new cast. We got to interview all of them for a site that's no longer up now called trekgalaxy.com. We had done a report more or less live from the set for the end of Voyager, and so he sent us to interview everyone uh, from the new show. And so we had them all. There was like a week where we did two interviews a day. The last person we interviewed, fittingly, was Connor Trenier, because he was the last one cast. Everyone else had been cast fairly quickly. He was the one they kept bringing back in. Um, but after the TV Guide interview came out, we had access to all of them, so we set them all up. And we interviewed Brandon Braga, who was the oh. showrunner for that. And, you know, and he knew us from Voyager. And he said, are you pitching to us? And we said, no, you know, but we would like to. And so he set us up for that. And as it turns out, over the three years that they took pitches for Enterprise, because they closed down in the fourth season, um, we had some great ideas that were out there. But they never seemed to want to go boldly, pardon, you know, <laughs> the vernacular. Um, it, those first two seasons were so pallid and anemic. And then they got really into the Zindi storyline in the third season. And we were pitching to Phyllis Strong during that point. We had some really neat ideas. We had one time when, when the new NX-1 was stuck in orbit around um, a really heavily magnetized you know, protoplanet. Um, and they were stuck and they were getting closer and closer and closer. And it was just, Phyllis Strong loved that idea and it never went through. And their technical guy... I'm going to forget his name right off the top of my head, um, took a pitch from us that we called Conversion, in which the Klingons and the New Enterprise were in the skirmish and ended up trying to go to warp, and they, they locked together. They were stuck together. So you had Klingons spilling into the New Enterprise. Nice. And, you know, and, and the systems were incompatible, so they were spiraling towards destruction. And then we had to, you know, had to stop the fighting and then use the transporters to unlock. He loved that. He loved that idea. And it never went beyond sitting on the table. They, they never mm. liked those ideas. Mm. You know, and they went with what they did. And then 
Phyllis Strong, who also wanted us to be on the table all the time, she liked our ideas. She was not brought back in the fourth season, and by that point, that was they they had closed mm-hmm. to all freelancers at that point. So, um, which was odd because at that point they'd also brought in a whole new production team. They had, and you know, at least out to outward appearances, tried to uh, breathe life back into the show uh, for the rest of the world to see, but inwardly they were just shutting it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was almost like they wanted to tell the last of the stories that they could tell that hadn't been told that were sort of the big stories like the Dark Mirror Universe and like that one that I was saying about the the, um, the Andorians, the Enids. That was an interesting, right. bizarre story that probably would not have been made in the first two seasons. It was very intelligent exploration. And and then just stupidly end it with that, mm-hmm. the episode they ended it with mm-hmm. was, was just, I think... The holographic Riker chef. <laughs> insulting. Absolutely insulting. At so many levels. I know a lot of people who stopped watching it. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I didn't, I think out of masochistic mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really kept thinking to myself, it can't be this stupid. This can't be That's happening exactly. like this. And there were, there were a lot of us out there who were just going, no, you know what? They are that stupid. Yeah. And they're going to let it die. Well, what's very frustrating about TV is it's always TV is done by committee, as you've already touched upon tonight with with references to these other projects that are going to be diluted and yes, you know, and unfocused, and that happens so often, which is why I write novels because it's only <laughs> you. Yeah. you know, there used right. to be a time he had a Twilight Zone and Richard Matheson's names up there, mm-hmm. and you knew he was the one who actually did that screenplay. Absolutely, and it was brilliant. <laughs> Or the original Outer Limits, and you sure. saw yes. oh, oh, sheer yes. genius. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Harlan, mm-hmm. the demon <laughs> yeah, with the absolutely. glass hand. Yes. Yep. Oh my God! Or that really spooky one, um, Probability Study, which haunted me as a kid. It was the, the whole neighborhood sucked up and taken to the planet oh, Luminos. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. My, my nightmare was to serve man. Oh yes, oh, that was my nightmare. Love that one. With Lloyd Bochner. Yes! Mm. Commandant Leitner from the original Battlestar. <laughs> and various roles throughout. Yeah. Now, you've yeah. also told us you have some J. Joe Mike Straczynski stories for us. Well, Laura and I, throughout our course at Sci Fi and other various publications, got the joy of interviewing various members of the Babylon 5, the actors that, that were on that series as well. And, and also him. And the year that we did work for Voyager, we had a great opportunity um, to pitch to Showtime because they were starting their whole line of original series at that point, the the speculative fiction things that they did. Um, And we had a meeting with a producer there who said, well, you know what? The ideas are quality ideas that you're pitching. I mean, we had these these write-ups with, you know, character studies and overviews and episode um, overviews as well. And he said, you need a showrunner. You know Joe Michael Straczynski? Have him, you know, have him get in touch with us, and then we'll talk. Well, as it turns out, we emailed him, and he did, e- you know, he did get in touch with a guy, and that was how Jeremiah came to be. Not with us, though. <laughs> We've got leapfrog over for that, but that's typical you know, in working in the business. And we're a lot wiser than it that. It also now. has, I mean, I, we, we talk about this often. We weren't in the Hollywood system because we we're here. And so you do tend to get overlooked 
quite often because you're so far away from the system. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. you understand. <laughs> and, you know, we were out in Los Angeles for a time, and we, we had meetings almost every day. We had a private screening of the Battlestar Galactica trailer that Richard Hatch did in his home in Hollywood. We were on the set of Voyager at the time. We had a meeting with this thing that used to be called the Sci-Fi Lab when they were doing a show called Sciography, which was their biography. And we were up for a job with them, and then Sci-Fi canceled them. Um, we went and hung out with um, John D'Aquino from Sequest DSV, who I had met in the airport on the flight out there, and he was working on That's My Bush at the time. And we had a great, <laughs> great show. Yes. What a great show. Yes. John loved our work and had an arrangement with us because I had a friend at ESPN. He's like, you know what? You get me a meeting with them, I'll get you a meeting with these guys. Well, as it turns out, then 9-11 happened. And of course, mm. That's My Bush was canceled because it was just too provocative for... You know what? Um, I, I got the uh, prescription for memory pills off that show. They were great. <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. Well, we had, when we interviewed him for that show, our, our tagline or our headline was from the DSV to the GOP. Ask me what's in this cake mix. Well, Laura and I presently, right now, we're, we're still working on um, a number of projects together. Um, right now, that I, I have had a, a slew of novels that have been published, uh, paranormal romances, some science fiction novels, a ton of short fiction, and things of that nature. And, and we are, we're continuing to write, we write all the time. You're self-supporting writers. Full-time professional writers. There's no other wow. way to do it. Just dive right in and do it. Um, I have seven novels that are, are being put up by one of your future guests, Ravenous Romance, which is ravenousromance.com. Um, uh, well, this will be news to them because we haven't asked them yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I like you're very positive and optimistic, and I like the way you think. <laughs> a bunch of the books that I wrote for them, two of two of the novels were um, Home Shopping Network last October launched this Escape with Romance, and two of my books were in the Paranormal Collection, which I write under uh, my own name plus the name Joe Atkinson. And one of them was a retelling of, well, an homage to the original Dark, Dark Shadows. Shadows. And it was a murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, Second squeeze of the night. Yeah. Yeah. I get to squeeze on that. Three, you're out. Okay, okay, okay. Now, I will say I've only watched some more recent Dark Shadows on Hulu, but I am dying to know what happened. Like, they cut out right in the middle there. Like, I assume the original went on much longer. Oh, uh, for like 1,500 episodes. 1,228. Oh, really? oh, I missed uh, a lot then because there was only like. 10 or 12 episodes yeah. about Hulu, but man, were they interesting. We watched every single one of them on Sci-Fi Channel. We ran them, and we started taping them, and we watched from the very beginning to the very end. I felt a little guilty watching it, but in a good way. But it felt <laughs> <laughs> so right. It was like, this, this is so bad, but so good. <laughs> Isn't that the best? See, I grew up on a healthy diet of, of bad TV sci-fi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Creature double features. I mean, yes. you do, you know? Yes. Hey. See, we used to have this argument all the time, and it, it, annoyed, the, it annoys the crap out of me that, you know, film doesn't come out and make $100 million in that first week. It, it's gone. Yeah. It seems to me that there's always been a place for the B-movie. 
There needs to be a place for the B-movie. Mm. Ron Howard began in the B-movies. Jack Nicholson began in the B-movies. He's great producers, oh. directors, actors. It wasn't quite a B movie. That's, that's being sounds produced. The Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. Was, no, he's the guy who goes in to see the dentist. Oh, that's right. The masochist. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But don't you really appreciate, in a way, those old movies that came out sort of... They didn't have the benefit of great special effects. It was storytelling. If you think exactly. of the old ABC yes. movie of the week that used to be like the Night Stalker, the Night Strangler, oh, yeah. the House That Would yeah. Not Die, um, Absolutely. A Cold Night's Up, The Monkeys in the yeah. Arctic. Anything the by... Remember that? That sounds like Mansquito. Way better than Mansquito. See, that's the difference. At this point... When you get those Saturday night sci-fi movies, uh, like Sharktopus. Oh, no, no. Sharktopus. Have you heard about the new sci-fi Proctodator? one? They're actually letting the fans decide what happens Proctopus? with it. Yes. I think it's a sequel to like uh, Sharktopus. Oh, something. do they attack the director and crew? <laughs> <laughs> one can hope, yeah. I mean, the difference was, is, is that, you know, sci-fi is pretending this stuff is good. And it's not. I mean... If you look at Attack of the 50 Foot Women or them, or The Incredible yeah. Shrinking Man, yeah. I mean, cheesy effects. The Blob. The Blob. The original Absolutely. Blob. Gargoyles, aren't they? Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. Any, you know, anything by Val Luton, where it's like, it's all in the shadows. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing, you, who's going to remember Craptopus versus, you know, Sharkticon? Sharkticonda! Well, when King Darby looked down and there were the little gremlins and the flowers. Oh, hell yeah! Oh, and they yeah. dragged her into the fireplace. Who, uh, of oh, an age, you'll yeah. never forget that. You'll Absolutely. never forget that. Exactly. It's like the first time I was 17 years old watching Night of the Living Dead and then walking home that night. Oh Oh my god. I don't know, I don't know. You say that, but I don't think I can erase Mansquito out of my life. (laughs) I was just thinking that we're lucky enough here in around Area 51 that we still have some uh, some drive-in movies. Yeah. And what a perfect place that we used to have that you could go to drive-in see two or three movies, they'd have these silly things, you come in costume and you get, you know, you can have lady fingers at the, at, with your hot dog. Careful. <laughs> what do you mean by lady fingers? <laughs> I am the dead red What do you mean by hot dog? <laughs> and if you had a bond, you could see these movies, that it was okay that it was only 10 bucks to go to the drive-in for an entire carload full of people, including the ones in the trunk. And it was all right. And, now, and by the ones in the trunk, you mean. <laughs> the dead ones. And, and now it's, you know, it's 25 bucks to take, even for a single date, to go to the multiplex. And it's very, very different. And the movies were really, really crappy. Yeah. I have to tell you, we watched The Fly One in my Humanities Honors English class for no reason besides my English teacher wanted to, but he wouldn't let us watch the sequel to it. (laughs) Because there were so many unanswered questions. (laughs) But there were some unanswered questions. (laughs) David Al Hedison, you gotta love it. (laughs) It's gross. 
Oh, are you talking Jeff, the Jeff Goldblum? Yes. Jeff Goldblum. Oh, 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 okay. I'm showing my age yet again. <laughs> hey, we've got a, a silent guest here. Well, he's not been we silent. We have silent. in a little bit. Actually, I was just, I wanted to bring up the fact, um, I read a couple years ago online that uh, some somebody wrote a um, an open letter to the Sci-Fi Channel. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but pretty much this guy was talking all about, like, right now we're living in almost the, the era of the geek where... The girl in high school, the, the head cheerleader, has an iPhone, which is technically a small computer. And she uses it. She knows how to use it and all that. Like, everybody is surrounded with all this kind of technology that 30 years ago was science fiction. And they, you know, sci-fi just keeps wanting to do, you know, back at that time, Crap. they wanted to remake Flash Gordon. <laughs> You know, oh, as a TV geez. series and things like that. It's like, why aren't you? Why aren't they getting the right teams together to to adapt the you know the the classic uh, you know Asimov uh, stories and things like that, or redo the Martian Chronicles the right way? But no, instead, at nine o'clock on Monday nights, don't they have like ECW or something Tuesday to try to get? Enough, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. It's there needs to be there needs to be just the higher ups. There just needs to be a. Humongous douching, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> they just there has to be spring cleaning. They just got to clean them they out do it every and couple say, of years, though. yeah, you and know, it just keeps going. Yeah, same kind well, of people. Well, well, you, you can you can you can say that, but I will take sci-fi remaking Flash Gordon than MTV remaking Rocky Horror any day of my life. <laughs> there Get something to me. should not be touched. <laughs> yeah, something by Russell Brand. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Yes, sir. Tell, tell me tell me good news from the brown coats world. Well, actually, um, I know a couple days ago the uh, the film was just available to uh, on the website for pre-order. Woo! So, yep, if you, you can go to Somebody, Michael, took my advice, didn't you? <laughs> he'd be, he'd be listening. It's actually Michael's birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Mike, Mike, they just took their shirts off. <laughs> Andrew, stop poking me. That's my daughter. Awkward. No, yeah, we just made it available for pre-order. I've been talking with Mike about the numbers. It's been very good. Um, we just finished up a round of ADR, which is uh, uh, what they call automatic dialogue replacement, where, you know, if you're filming out, you know, on the tarmac of, a, of an airport and you're expecting to, to get good audio and good lines, you, you just <laughs> can't. Yeah, because, yeah, because it's just surface rumble. Happen. There's all that stuff. So we need to take the actors in and actually have them redo their lines watching their performance so that it can match up as perfectly as possible. So yeah. we got to drop that in and then... Some color correction. We got. We're still waiting on some CGI, and um, I know that we're going to be getting the score very soon. I believe at least almost. I'd say about uh, sixty to seventy-five percent of the finished score to drop that in. And yeah, just going to make a couple more edits here and there. And before you know it, it's uh, it's going. I so I noticed on your pre-order page, there's there's a little blurb at the bottom that says there may be a cool code or something. Do you, do you have a cool code to share with us? Um, well, I can only tell you that later. Oh. When, uh, oh. <laughs> well. Not that code. Good night, once. everybody. It's a This part of the room. <laughs> it's, actually, um, it's actually, if you go to a Can't Stop the Serenity event, they're going to be handing out um, little kind of lobby cards that will have a special code. Got it. Okay. So, mm. Got it. So that'll be no. Uh, the Boston one was actually just um, just this past weekend, so that went oh. really well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, That's all I'm saying. 
you know, when I, I'm, I, are you taking uh, pitches for the sequel? Because I, <laughs> I actually want to get your business card. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> just to be able to talk here and there. So yeah, but uh, no, there have been a lot of ideas already for the sequel from you know cast, crew, um, a couple other people that have that we've kept in the loop throughout. So. And, and the of extras, course, remembering that extras, and, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and by extras casting. we mean leads. <laughs> <laughs> and by leads we mean smiling old guys. <laughs> Or, what? <laughs> yeah, we don't mean that by leads. No, 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 we don't. No. Careful. Not, not really. Careful. Curmudgeon. Uh, and actually, I mean, that almost goes back to the whole things. Hollywood scheme where somebody has one idea and then there's a whole team of ten people that go, no, I've got, I've got a little bit better than that. We can top that. We can top this. Except and, we're right. And then, you get, and then you get Bumblebee, one of the best Transformers ever, peeing on an FBI agent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, or from that you point, get Superman with a polar bear to guard the... There you go. Yeah, but you know what the difference is? And, and, and I've said this to Mike over and over again, and I've said it to you over and over again, is that you bring passion into the environment. And when you let the passion that you guys, that, that Broncos run, that you and Mike and, and the cast and the crew, and every single person that I've seen involved with this project... You all have that that burning coal deep inside your hearts, and that's what makes it work. That's why people come to you and say, "But we can do this." And if you go, "It's not going to fit," they understand. But when it does fit, it works. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, this has been Dome's pontification. Oh, right, <laughs> <man. laughs> Couple of weeks. Are we already at that point of the show? We are at that Coming point of the show. No, no, let's get, let's get it going a little longer. We got so many people in your living room. I don't have to clean up. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, it wasn't me this I time. I can hit him now. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, you learn the ups and downsides of being in one the same last room. Thing. Wait, one last thing. Things each other. The common ground here, Joss Whedon. That's Tell us about this Buffy Buffy Doss. <laughs> That was an assignment that I had a few years ago, two years ago, um, in which I was asked to write a cue guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I pulled together my own little gang of Scoobies <laughs> from the show, um, even so much as Chris Golden, the novelist, who did so many wonderful Buffy novels. And friend of and, the show. Yeah. Yes. Super and fun. obscure villains like Greg Vaughn, who played one of the frat boys in the second season. Oh, and the yeah. guy who played, um, it's late and my diabetes is kicking in. Uh, <laughs> uh, Snarl, the, the, the demon that was eating. Snarl? <laughs> I I my, let me have my own book. No. <laughs> This was a fun, um, gay version of why Buffy was so popular. Story of my life. And, 
an episode guide, and I'm, you know, it's just, it was a lot of fun. It is, it is the cue guide to Sunnydale. So, sir, who would have Three strikes. <laughs> <laughs> right All right, coming so, up calendar. All right, so coming up next week will be our big Fourth of July extravaganza. No guests, but the taps will be flowing freely. We will recap the first half of 2010, which and we will play density. And, and <laughs> perhaps, perhaps the the Zombrarian and I will make an appearance as Shea Bernanger. Ooh. Well, no, no, wait. I don't want to have to clean up after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, like you get two anyway. zombies in a room and right. Right. Then balls. Yeah. On July 10th, <laughs> we have author Tracy Hickman of Dragonlands and Deathgate Cycle talking to us about his new exclusively online project, DragonsBard.com. And then on July 17th, we will finally be having fan-favorite artist Frankie B. Washington returning to talk about zombies versus cheerleaders. Hello! Hello! My brand new favorite series. Thank you so much, Frankie. I love it. We love Frankie B. Yes. And Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music is provided by Zanoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Because it may be over, but it never ends. I want to thank our guests tonight, Gregory Norris and Laura Van Fleet. It was a pleasure having you with us tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This was so was fun. much fun. <laughs> <laughs> And, and next time we'll have more wine. <laughs> Andrew Marnick from Brown Cuts Redemption. Thank you for dropping by. It's always a pleasure to have you. You're always welcome on the show. And we'll give you the tissues on the way out. Thank you. <laughs> and don't thank you for allowing us to share the space with you tonight. Well, it was an interesting share the space. space. You guys came in here. I mean, what are we going to do? <laughs> From Area 51's Brown Coat Redemption preview, Lollapalooza. And I gotta tell you, just as an aside, I Pontificating aside? Pontificating okay. aside. <laughs> Dead to me. That about 17 people at work on Friday, when we all decided we were gonna shut down early, all logged on to the Brown Coat Redemption website for watching the trailer. <laughs> And somebody was walking down the aisle and saw the same trailer on five different. Did you guys all hit play at once? <laughs> <laughs> Synchronized viewing. Synchronized. Take down the building. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> I want to thank the Dead Redhead and Illustrator X and Priyana for joining us down here in Area 51 tonight. You're welcome. And at least I wasn't in the kryptonite. But on bum. That's what she said. <laughs> I did say it. Literally. This has been Sci-Fi Saturday Night. What we're doing here, we don't know. But, but we're doing it, and that's what matters. <laughs> then, and join us every week. <laughs> all right. Genie shared pain is lessened. Shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you.
call Bye. has been completed. <laughs> I already saw you end it.